0: First Corinthians thirteen. First Corinthians thirteen. I don't know if you ever give attention to when we're singing as to when those songs were written or when they were uh, put to music. That song I just noticed was 172 years old. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, it there must be some substance to it if it's lasted 172 years. Uh, most of what we do will not last 172 years so that's pretty amazing let's go to the lord in prayer and we will get started father it is good to be in your house tonight and lord it is good to be reminded that we can bring our troubles to you we can bring our burdens to you and lord it's good to know that we can bring our rejoicing to you as well and god just to know that you are there that you listen that you hear it's a blessing and god i pray now that you would help us to Uh, spend these next few moments in a way that would be pleasing to you and that would be profitable to us. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to uh, give attention to your word tonight. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well most of you know that the last couple of messages out of our study of 1st Corinthians has been out of chapter 13 and dealing with the attributes of biblical love and something that I have stressed throughout the last couple of messages is something that I have stressed each time that we have gone through 1st Corinthians 13 and that is this is that biblical love is always manifested in our actions. It is never a feeling. It is always something that we act upon. It is always something that we do, which means this, and we can never get weary of hearing this. We always need this reminder because of the sinful beings that we are. Our willingness to love is a choice that we make. It's not as though we're incapable to love certain people. It's not as though it's just not possible. We choose whether or not we're going to love the way Scripture tells us to love. And so in the last two messages, I just want to run through this very quickly so that we have kind of a summary and let it flow into tonight's message. But he began by saying there in verse number 4 that charity suffereth long, which meant this, that charity is not easily annoyed when somebody inconveniences us or puts us out, so to speak. Basically, Charity will be patient. Charity is also said to be kind. We make the choice to be kind, which in this context means this, that we have a desire to serve others rather than expecting to be served by others. Then he said, charity envieth not. Charity is not jealous of others and what they've been blessed with, their accomplishments or whatever it may be that's being considered. Charity will not be jealous, and charity vaunteth not itself. Charity does not brag, does not boast, and then, he said, is not puffed up, which means we never assume that we are better than anyone. We recognize that we are equal, that there is no level of or or no differences in our levels. We are simply people that uh, deserve a mutual respect and a mutual uh, interaction with each other. And then last week we watched as he said, It doth not behave itself unseemly, which meant this. Love will never be inconsiderate of others. True biblical love is always mindful of others because when we are inconsiderate in the context of things, it means this, that we, we damage our testimony and we damage our reputation when we're not considerate of others. Then he said, seeketh not her own, which means we don't have to have it our way. And that can be a struggle sometimes, can't it? We want things to be done our way. And then he said, it is not easily provoked, which means we do not get angry quickly when people have done us wrong. I said last week, it's, it's different than the idea of being annoyed, but we do not get angry quickly. And let, let's just be honest That can happen sometimes, can't it? Something comes along, we weren't expecting it, we weren't anticipating it, but somebody said something, somebody did something, we didn't care for it, we didn't appreciate it, and just that fast we're angry. All right, that was the choice we made. Biblical love says, you know what, I'm not going to let that irritate me, I'm not going to let that make me mad. Uh, I'm going to breathe till I get through it, and then I'll handle it correctly. Then last week, finally, he said, Love or charity thinketh no evil, which meant this. It does not keep track or keep record of offenses against us. So it's not as though we go around reminding ourselves, well, they did me wrong three years ago, and then they did me wrong again three and a half years ago. Love does not keep track of the number of times they've been wronged by other people. And I'm telling you, just by way of review, There are people who can remember every offense ever committed against them. All you've got to do is mention it, and they can begin to tell you. It was in 1983. We were right here, and I was wearing this, and you said this, and and then I said this, and then you said this, and then I said this, and it can just go on for as long as you want to let that person talk. Whenever we love somebody, we choose to get over it, we choose to move past it, and we choose to forgive them and to move on. So, there's plenty just in the review for us to be reminded of, of things to work on this week, is there not? Because if most of us were honest, most of us just in hearing the review, we had at least one area where we thought, oh man, I failed in that one. But we're just going to add to it tonight, okay? So, let's have a little bit more excitement than we had Sunday night, okay? Sunday night was tough, all right? So let's let's have a little bit more enthusiasm for the Word of God tonight, and, and that'll be good for all of us, okay? All right, so here we are tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 6, and Paul continues and he says, Love or charity rejoiceth not in iniquity. Now, as we get into this, I want to say just a couple of things by way of this one. Uh, declaration of what love looks like. As we go through all of these attributes or characteristics of love, I I trust that you understand he is dealing with people's relationships with other people, okay? He's not talking about us loving ourselves. You understand this, right? He's talking about our relationships with other people. And so whenever he talks about rejoiceth not in iniquity, He's not talking about a personal issue with themselves individually, but he is talking about their relationships with other people. So obviously, the the application would involve you and I in our relationship with others as well. And and as we look at this statement, I, I want us to consider this question: Is there such a thing as absolute truth? I trust that we believe that, that there is this thing called absolute truth. And as believers, I would hope that you and I would say that the only thing that is absolute truth is Scripture or is the Word of God. Everything else is fallible. Everything else is open to interpretation and open to opinion. But for believers, here is what you and I should believe is that the Word of God is infallible, it is without mistake, it is without error, it is without any kind of a misprint, and it's really not open for debate, it's really not open for opinion or open to my interpretation or your interpretation. We need to take the Word of God at face value, correct? Yeah. All right, now, now why say that in light of what is said in verse number 6? Well, he says in verse number 6 that love will not rejoice in iniquity. So what is iniquity? Well, most of us would understand this, that iniquity is a reference to that which is sin or that which is unrighteous. Paul makes it clear, and he's certainly not the only one to do this, but Paul makes it clear in this one little statement that there is such a thing as sin and there are such things as unrighteous actions or unrighteous behavior, things that would not be pleasing or acceptable in the sight of God. Come on. There are things that we could say that is sin and that is wrong. That activity, it is unrighteous in its nature. So that being said, here is what he said in verse number 6. He said that love rejoices not in iniquity. So what does it mean to rejoice in iniquity? Well, the idea would be this, to be glad or to find joy in something. So here's what Paul says, is that when a person truly loves another person in the way that they ought, then this will never be true, that you would ever find joy or be glad or rejoice in the sin of of another individual, of another person, especially another believer. You would never find joy in this. You would never rejoice in this. You would never find yourself being glad that someone is engaging in sinful activity. Now, you would think, would you not, that that would be fairly basic information you would think that that would be fairly common knowledge. To to sit here or to stand before you this evening and say, now, now listen, we shouldn't be glad when people engage in sin. You would think all of us would sit here and say, well, duh. But do you know how many times it happens? It happens on a consistent, regular basis among God's people as it relates so many times to other people Especially, many times, those who identify themselves as believers. You may be wondering what I'm talking about, so let me explain. Do we not live in a society where there are times that people choose to do things that are in contradiction or in opposition to the Word of God But because it is a socially acceptable or socially noble activity that sometimes, even as God's people, we get excited that other people are engaging in activity that we know is not in accordance to God's word. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Well, maybe not, so let me explain. How many of us have ever seen situations like this? Where someone begins to engage in activity where you know it is going to require a shift in one's priorities. This is going to begin consuming them. This is going to begin taking their time, taking their energy, taking their attention. And and as a result of this taking place in their lives... Here's what happens. It is just known, it is just fact, that with the result of this person making this decision in their life, it will begin changing their priorities, and now it will begin affecting their spiritual lives. It can't be helped. It can't be ignored. It cannot be denied. It is going to affect their spiritual lives because something is going to have to give, and with the decision that's been made, the spiritual life is now going to have to be put on a back burner. Have we ever seen that happen? Friends, it happens all the time. And you know what happens so many times even in society that we live in, even in our culture? Here is what happens so many times. It's like people lose train of the thought or lose sight of the thought that there are absolute truths, absolute rights and wrongs. And friends, when a person starts taking away from their walk with the Lord because they are now pursuing something else. Friends, that immediately becomes wrong, and yet so many times God's people will celebrate someone doing something that they know will affect their walk with God and their faithfulness to the things of God. Now see, if you and I are going to love people like we're supposed to, then here is what cannot be said of us, and trust me, I have failed in this, but what cannot afford to be said of us is this, is that we rejoice and that we celebrate or we are found to be glad that someone has made a decision that is going to impact their spiritual life in a negative fashion. See, see, if I, if I love someone the way that I'm supposed to, here's what I'll recognize. Okay, right here we have absolute truth, correct? So there are certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong and we cannot judge anything differently than what the Word of God says. It's not open to opinion. It's not open to to our interpretation. The Word of God says, okay, my kingdom is to be top priority and seeking me is supposed to be top priority. And so here's what happens. But this is a good thing they're doing and it's a noble thing that they're doing and just think of all the options that will be open to them. Okay, but here's the problem. It just affected and hindered their spiritual lives i can't celebrate that i can't rejoice in that i can't afford to get glad about that because if i do that then here's what i am then essentially doing i am celebrating disobedience to the word of god and if you think we don't lose sight of that sometimes we're not being honest It looks like this sometimes. We've got young people who are now pursuing their careers. Well, and you know, to pursue a career, just certain compromises have to be made. Well, said who? Well, said culture, right? right. Says society. Well, you know, so they've got to go to college. Okay, I understand a college education, and, and, you know, they're going to have to start out at that entry level. Okay, I understand you don't get to start out as the CEO or, or, or whatever the top position may be. I, I understand. Well, you, you just got to understand that whenever you start at the bottom, you just have to make certain compromises, and I am in full support of what they are doing. Friends, I'm in full support of an education and a career, but you and I cannot afford to be in support of that if it requires compromise in doing things that we would otherwise say is wrong for other people to do. Now, I know this isn't real popular in our culture today, but see, here's what is happening is so many times in support of our young people, in support of our kids, in support of our grandkids, we're going to to celebrate their accomplishments, though it may require spiritual compromise. Friends, if we love people the way that we're supposed to, we couldn't ever celebrate that. I remember several years ago, a young person was wanting to pursue some things and I just couldn't get excited about it. Because I knew some of the choices that would have to be made and some of the compromises that would have to be made. And trust me, it didn't always put me in the most popular category. But, friends, if it's right, it's right. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. And if someone's choosing to do something that we know is wrong, we can't celebrate it and rejoice in what is now sinful activity. Amen. We can't act like it's a good thing. We can't act like it's a, 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 a wonderful thing, an exciting thing if there are compromises that have to be made and and they have to do things that wouldn't be right. And and, and it's amazing how many different ways you can take this one little statement, how many different ways you can apply it. I, I mean, this whole idea of rejoicing not in iniquity, one author talked about how many Christians that he's had experience with. It's amazing the number of people who rejoice when they see other people fall into sin. You think that ever happens? It does happen. There are people who call themselves children of God, who call themselves believers, and, and they get some kind of a joy and some kind of a thrill by seeing other people fall. Now, I don't know what all would motivate that, but I just would like to throw out to you tonight that if that's ever been our heart, if that's ever been our attitude, if that's ever been our spirit, that is wrong. Because you and I should never rejoice when we see somebody struggle with sin. We should never rejoice when we see somebody succumbing to the temptation of sin. We should never rejoice when it's somebody else's kid, you know, the, the one who's always been an irritation to us. We're not allowed to ever rejoice in sinful activity in anyone's life. It's not permissible if we're going to love people the way that we ought And what he says in verse number 6 transitions right into verse number 6, the second part of it. He said, It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. It rejoiceth in truth. So what does it mean to rejoice? It means to celebrate, to be glad of, to, to find joy in. So whenever he says it rejoiceth in the truth, what does it mean to rejoice in the truth? It means To rejoice or to celebrate the one who walks in the truths of God's word. Do you like the contrast here? You need to, okay? See, here's what Paul said. You would never celebrate disobedience if you love someone like they should. Okay, if you love someone like you should, you will never celebrate their disobedience. But if you do love someone like you should, here is what you will do. You will celebrate their obedience to the truth of God's Word. Again, this is vital because of the society and the culture that we live in. Take the young person who you know has been raised in one of those dorky homes. You know, one of those dorky homes where the kids have to go to church. And and the kids are like required to be involved and to be active. And, And then just for a minute, think about that dorky kid who actually reaches the point where they can make some decisions for themselves, and they actually stick with it. Well let's be honest, in today's society, they're kind of nerds. They're kind of the weird ones. Don't you have any dreams? Don't you have any ambitions? Don't you have any goals? Don't you have things that you want to pursue? Surely you have more in mind for your life than this, don't you? What's wrong with a young person who just wants to do right and follow God's will? I'm just going to tell you this. It's amazing the number of times, maybe not here, but but whenever you you associate with the Bible college and you know people who are a part of the Bible college who, who may be on the outside. It is amazing sometimes some of the remarks that are made about people who, you know, like go to Bible college and, and what are they going to do with their lives going to Bible college? <laughs> Excuse me. Should we not celebrate something of that effect? I mean, Bible college is not the solution to anything in and of itself. But, but what I'm saying is this. For there to ever be a negative attitude about a kid who wanted to go to Bible college, isn't that ridiculous? And yet, I'm telling you, there are people who just look at that like, well, I, I guess they're going to waste their life. I mean, because if they had some real drive, if they had real ambition, they'd go to a university. They'd find themselves a real college to go to. They'd get them a real job and a real career, and, and they'd do something with their lives. Do something more than just follow God in obedience? How pathetic that we would encourage someone to pursue something other than just obedience to God and make light of the young person who's trying to be obedient. Did I say that right? I mean, how dare us promote the one who is willing to compromise whatever so as to pursue the things of the world and not celebrate this? God help us to make sure that our attitude would always love a young person enough to say, you know what, if you're living in obedience to the word of God for your life, then that's all that matters and that's all this guy cares about. I'm telling you. It's not just young people who get the old raised eyebrows from the worldly-minded Christians sometimes. You know, sometimes it's the young couple that gets the, the funny look. What are they doing? Oh, it's, it's weird. They're just trying to be obedient to God's will. See, we don't see that very often, so we sometimes don't know how to respond to it. But see, here's what they're doing. They're, they're just trying to be obedient, and, and they're just trying to follow God's leadership. And, 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 you know, at some point they made a decision that, that their life wouldn't revolve around money. It wouldn't revolve around the career. It wouldn't revolve around company advancement. You know, they're, they're just going to follow God's will for their lives, and, and that's something that we should rejoice in. Well, they're never going to get ahead in life doing that. Well, see, that may not be their biggest agenda in life. And we should rejoice that someone has enough commitment to obedience to God's will for their life that they're willing to put aside the things of this world so that they can just do what God's called them to do. Friends, that is something we should rejoice in. I wouldn't rejoice in iniquity and somebody compromising so that they can have more of this world. We want to celebrate the ones who are doing right. You know that couple who's raising their kids. They're just going to warp their kids. How are they going to warp their kids? Oh, just making too much of the things of God. You think those comments aren't made in church? Just going to warp them. I mean, they they do this and they do this and they won't allow this and they won't allow this. I'm telling you, just going to warp the kids. You know what we should be celebrating? There's a dad and a mom. A dad or a mom. Trying to raise the kids in accordance to the truth of God's word. That's what we should be celebrating. And yet so many times we celebrate the things that we ought not be rejoicing in. And I just want to remind us that that when somebody is doing right, that's what we celebrate. Let's take it one step further, just real quick. You know, the ones who don't have to be faithful anymore. They're not raising kids. They don't have anything that's over them saying you have to be faithful. And, you know, they're, they're at a stage in life where they could kind of spread their wings a little bit and they could, they could, you know, do whatever they wanted to do, and yet they just continue to be faithful. Listen, if we love like we're supposed to, we celebrate that. Not the one who decides to gallivant the rest of their years and waste their lives and not invest in other people and do other things. Listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to take trips and do all that sorts of stuff, but what I'm saying is this, is just when people are faithful to the truth of God's word, why would we do anything but celebrate that? And yet we are living in a culture that is as messed up as the church in Corinth was where, again, we rejoice in iniquity and we mock and make fun of and laugh at the the ones living in truth. And if we love, it will not be that way at all. Now, Just to make sure that I'm clear on this so that you understand my heart on this, whenever I say that we don't celebrate compromise, when we don't celebrate disobedience, we don't get excited about it, I'm not at all suggesting that we become jerks about it either. Because that doesn't accomplish anything. Okay, so if someone is doing something and you don't agree with it, if somebody's doing something and, and you know that it's compromise on their part and it's not in obedience to the Word of God and it's requiring things of them that, that isn't good and isn't healthy, we're, we're not a jerk, but, but we don't celebrate it and promote it and encourage it. So verse number 6 is pretty powerful if we'll think about it. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Next he said this. In verse number 7, we'll get through these real quick so we don't have to to worry what time will be done or anything. He said in verse number 7, beareth all things. What does it mean to bear all things? It means this, to cover or protect someone. To cover or protect someone. Now, you understand this, I think, but I just want to say it real quick. It does not mean that we try to hide sin and sweep it under the rug. It's not at all what Paul is suggesting. It's not at all what he is encouraging. But what Paul does seem to be suggesting in this statement, beareth all things, it means this, is that you and I would never have a desire to, to intentionally embarrass or shame or humiliate someone who is striving to do what is right, who is striving to be what they're supposed to be. You understand this, right? I mean, every one of us are failures. Every one of us are are people who are fallen. Every one of us are people who do not get it right every time. And here's the thing. If we love each other the way that we're supposed to, we're not going to broadcast the failures of others to other people. And that can be a challenge sometimes, whether we want to admit it tonight or not. Because sometimes we like to gossip, and sometimes we like to talk, and and we do so in spiritual manners, do we not? Well, listen, I'm not being critical. I'm not one to talk badly of someone else, but did you know? Did you know that they did this? Did you know that they did this? Did you know that their family did this? Did, Did you know that that's happening? Did you know that that's going on? Now, again, you're not ever trying to sweep something under the rug. You're not ever trying to keep something from being made known that needs to be made known because of rebellion and and just blatant disobedience. But you and I should never, for lack of better words, we should never talk badly about someone else's failure because there is no love in that kind of an action. So it doesn't matter if it's with your closest friend. It doesn't matter if it's a group of people who have gone out to lunch and, you know, somebody comes up in conversation and then it begins to be, well, I heard, well, then I heard, well, no, I heard this. It's just it's not appropriate. We just need to keep our mouths shut when it comes to the failures and and the struggles of other people. So love will bear all things. They will uh, cover and, and try to just protect the one, not embarrass them or humiliate them. Next he said this, not only do they bear all things, they believe all things. Does that mean we're gullible and we just have no discernment? Well, no. But what Paul is saying is this, that if we're going to love the way that we ought, we will believe the best of people rather than the worst of people. Now does that not go against our nature sometimes? It is amazing to me how quickly I will believe a negative report about someone and I may not even know the person that I'm hearing the report on. Has this ever happened to you where, where somebody is just talking down another person? They're, they're just talking poorly of another person and you may not even know the situation. And yet you're sitting there going, my goodness, I can't believe this. My, my goodness, I, I I would have never thought that of someone like that. And, and, and listen, if we love people the way that we're supposed to, we will not just automatically assume the worst of someone else. How many of us would admit tonight not publicly of course but privately in our hearts we would have to admit this that we have had negative opinions of people that we have never met simply because of things we heard about them So see it's not right Whenever we hear something about someone and it's not good if it's not what we would say is real flattering of the individual If we don't really know the scenario, if we don't really know the whole story, you know what would be best if we're going to love people the way that we should? More times than not, it would be best if we did this. Just let it go in one ear and out the other and not think about it anymore. Just be like, okay. That's fine. So it believeth all things. And then next he said in verse number 7, Hopeth all things. What does it mean to hope all things? It means this. To continue hoping the best for people, sometimes when we have no other reason to hope the best for them or to expect the best of them. Because that can be hard sometimes, can't it? You're done with them. You're fed up with them. I don't care about you anymore. See, that violated biblical love a long time ago, to say I'm done with them, I'm fed up with them, I'm through with them. Even though we may struggle with our feelings and our thoughts and our emotions toward them, if we're going to love them like we're supposed to, we will continue to hope that what is best for them will take place in their lives. That's tough Because when we have written people off There are many times that we'd just soon see them Just completely foul their lives up So that we could get some kind of little thrill out of that Well, See, that'd be kind of like you and I rejoicing in iniquity And that would be wrong So when there is a person that you really don't even have any expectations of anymore, when they have disappointed you so many times that you really don't even believe they are salvageable, if we are going to love them like we should, we have to continue to hope the best for them, whatever that may be. And then finally he said in verse number 7, Not only does it hope all things, it endures all things. Love will choose to endure all things. So what does it mean to endure? It means this, to persevere or to remain in the midst of disappointment and discouragement. It just keeps doing what it's supposed to do because it's the right thing to do. See, love doesn't love because it's easy because everyone else is doing it because it's popular people choose to love and to keep on loving because they know that as a Christian with my relationship with other people I am supposed to just keep loving no matter the disappointments or the discouragement associated with that person. So what would that look like? Well, it would look something like this just in verse number 7. You know what? I'm just going to keep bearing because it's the right thing to do. I'd love to run my mouth right now. I'd love to blab this to everyone. This person is a sorry individual. This person, I can't believe what they're doing right now, but, but you know... It's not right. I'm just going to endure. I'm going to bite my tongue, and I'm not going to say what I want to say right now because it endures all things. So it continues to bear. It continues to believe the best of people, not because it's always easy, not because it's always fun, but because the person knows it's the right thing to do. And that person continues and uh, stays steadfast and hoping the best for people because it's the right thing to do and it's a choice we have to make we have to decide if that's what we're going to do so just by way of summary real quick paul said love rejoices not in iniquity never celebrate sin of any sight of any sort of any kind But it does rejoice in the truth. Seeing people live in obedience to God's word, that is what excites them and that is what thrills them and that is what they encourage. Friends, if we're not doing that, we're not loving people like we should. I want to make that very clear if at all possible. When we choose to love as we should, we will bear all things, believe the best of people, we will hope for people even when we don't have very high expectations, and we will just... Keep doing it because it's the right thing to do. Is there anything in tonight's message that we could possibly be working on and improving on? I bet there's at least one item in this that we could be looking at saying, God, please help me. Because you you know I'm not loving the way that I should. And I'm just going to say it again. When we consider all this in light of what Paul is, is saying in this chapter it's important that we take this serious because it has great impact on our relationship with the Lord. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. Lord, I know that for myself, once again, I've been challenged by this. It doesn't matter how many times I've preached this. It doesn't matter how many times I've heard this. I still find myself in need of the challenge And, Lord, I know that there are others tonight who would say the same thing, that there's been at least one item here tonight that if they'd just be honest, they'd have to say they've struggled with that. Maybe they've even failed in that recently. And, God, I pray that tonight you'd help us to be sensitive to that, that you'd help us to be aware of it so that we can work on it and hopefully improve in that area. God, I pray that you'd bless the invitation tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.